Hello, my name is Ari Redboard. I am head of legal and government affairs at TRM Labs, the leading provider of blockchain intelligence and anti-money laundering software. Welcome to TRM Talks. TRM Talks is a monthly discussion with policymakers and business leaders in the cryptocurrency space. The Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, born in 19, 1908, was created to address fast-moving technological advancements of the day. That same year, Henry Ford's Model T began rolling off assembly lines, making automobiles affordable to the masses and attractive to criminals who could drive across country on violent crime sprees. Think Bonnie and Clyde. Indeed, it was this new cross-border technology that called for a national law enforcement entity with the tools and training necessary to new- meet a new breed of borderless criminal. While the technology has changed, the Bureau's mission has stayed the same, to identify, disrupt, and dismantle existing and emerging criminal enterprises whose activities affect the United States. Today, George Machine Gun Kelly has been replaced by ransomware as a service providers, darknet market administrators, cyber criminals, weapons proliferators, and other modern threat actors of the day. Many of these criminals have gone online in order to move funds at the speed of the internet, elude law enforcement, and obfuscate transactions. This month, a New York Times headline read, Bitcoin and encryption, a race between criminals and the FBI. The Wall Street Journal sounded, FBI director compares ransomware challenge to 9-11. As illicit actors in the FBI move to a digital battlefield, cryptocurrency, the internet of money, poses both unique risks and unique capabilities. Today, TRM talks to the FBI about how the Bureau is meeting these emerging threats and building cases in the age of crypto. TRM talks welcomes Assistant Director in Charge of the Washington Field Office, Stephen D'Antuano, Supervisory Special Agent Kyle Armstrong, Head of the Counterterrorism Financing Unit, and Management and Program Analyst Ali Kamoli of the Virtual Currency Evolving Threats Team. Thank you all so much for joining me today. Uh, Really, really really excited for this conversation. I feel like you guys, for really a long time and so many emerging threats have been the tip of the spear, and it's a real honor uh, to have you join join me on, on TRM Talks. I'd love to hear a little bit about your journeys uh, to sort of the positions you're in now, um, but also to cryptocurrency. Um, Steve, I'd love to start with you. Oh, great. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, I started on the Bureau in 96. I'm a CPA by trade. So any accountants out there, we're, we're hiring. Uh, please come on in and, and work. It's a great organization. My recruitment speech, Ari. Um, so as a forensic accountant in the bureau in 96 uh was when i started following the money right so you know we trace you know we're, we're trained to to do that that's a lot of my background white collar crime came at age in 98 and continue that um through through a lot of different positions working public corruption white collar crime um you know and then evolving into the uh cryptocurrency world obviously is what we're talking about so i won't belabor my my background but i became the financial crime section chief for the bureau in uh 2017. um kind of around about the time when a lot of the stuff was going on with cryptocurrency, right? And uh, so in that role, I was the head of the whole financial crime section for the Bureau, uh, working with our cyber um, division partners as well, because there's a blending, right, between cyber and financial crimes, uh, and then also with um, the uh, transnational organized crime units as well. Uh, we were developing education and awareness and tools and, and just really educating ourselves, educating myself too, because I'm, like I said, I'm an accountant that, that's usually following the money with the 10 key, uh, as opposed to following the money through the blockchain, right? So um, so a lot of that was was uh, educational for me in that role as the head of that that uh, section, and then obviously for the the uh, for the Bureau as a whole as well. So uh, it's been an interesting ride. So, and with uh, people like Ali and, and Kyle, it's been great. So. Now, that's extraordinary. I, I love your background. I think it, it just, it, 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 
it really makes so much sense. I think oftentimes when we talk about cryptocurrency, we sort of get bogged down in some of the technology and really don't approach it enough like the great financial crimes investigations that you guys have been doing for years, right? I mean, things that are happening on chain are really, all have, you know, um, corollaries in fiat. I mean, it's, you know, it's the same type of structuring and, uh, you know, money laundering that that has really gone on for years. So I love that sort of, you know, accounting forensics um, type background. Um, Kyle, uh, up next, uh, maybe if you can talk a little bit about sort of your background and, and, and journey sort of into the world of crypto. Sure. Uh, thanks a lot for having us. Um, also, we, we really appreciate it. Um, yeah, I've been in the, in the Bureau since uh, 2008, and I started my career um, looking at uh, tracing illicit, illicit finance. So money laundering, fraud, um, sanctions, violations, uh, stuff of that nature. Uh, 2018, I came to work for, uh, for Mr. D'Antuano in the financial crime section in the money laundering unit. And uh, during that time is when I really started to get involved with crypto and, and working with, with Ali and the, and the VSET team, which I think she'll expound on a little bit more. And really just sort of, uh, as Mr. D'Antuano said, um, applying some of the same traditional techniques of following the money, both proceeds of, of crimes and uh, as crimes themselves. And uh, applying that, that infrastructure that we have uh, at Department of Justice, at the FBI, to illicit crypto transactions. And then uh, 2020, I moved to uh, counterterrorism financing, um, doing a lot of the same techniques and just tracing um, bad money and uh, a, a nice um, substantive niche of crypto transactions in um, terrorism finance as well. And so... Um, as Mr. D'Antuano said, just tracing out money. Um, we have uh, a broad infrastructure in the U.S. code for illicit transactions, and that's what we've tried to do is, uh, is uh, trace bad money, find bad actors, and uh, make the country a little more safe. No, terrific. Thank you so much. Ali, I don't mean to get ahead of you, but um, I, uh, you know, I, I definitely talk to and meet a lot of people sort of in the crypto, particularly law enforcement space. And really, you've been doing this and thinking about it as long as anyone and, and, and in really meaningful ways. If you can sort of talk about a little bit about your your journey to cryptocurrency, that would be uh, that would be terrific. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, so uh, I joined the Bureau in 2012 uh, as a uh, staff operations specialist, which is uh, effectively like a tactical analyst. Um, and uh, I started my career working international cybercrime. Uh, from there, um, right around uh, the tail end of Silk Road, uh, I started taking a look more at, uh, at the dark net and crypto. And so like a lot of um, my, uh, my colleagues who got into the, the crypto game earlier uh, on the earlier side for law enforcement, uh, my for first foray into it was through dark net marketplaces. Uh, about four, uh, about four and a half years after joining the bureau, I, I moved over to start working um, really crypto and the dark net through transnational organized crime, uh, like that lens there, um, looking at the infrastructure, um, the finances, the uh, and and the actors uh, really from an organized crime lens. Uh, but through all of that, um, I was working alongside our money laundering unit and uh, working as a part of the virtual currency evolving threats team. Uh, which is where I sit now in our money laundering, forfeiture, and bank fraud unit. Uh, and this team is dedicated to uh, really uh, not only um, developing the Bureau's expertise through, uh, um, through a teach a man to fish philosophy, really. Um, it's really about providing uh, tactical support to our field offices from case initiation all the way through adjudication. Uh, and whether that be targeting you know, international professional money launderers, uh, or whether that be through money laundering, um, through a lot of different types of, of criminal activity, uh, that's that's really what that there that team is there for is really to to elevate the bureau's capabilities both operationally um, and uh, through um, our intelligence uh, as well. That's fantastic. Yeah, no, I think we, you know really the key here is there's really only a handful of agents like yourself, quite frankly, really across the interagency that's really fluent in these types of tools and investigations. And I think I like the uh, teach a man to fish because really the key is to get as many people comfortable with these tools because there are no crypto cases anymore, right? Crypto is in every case. And um, that's that that seems to me really to be um, the key. Sort of digging in a little bit more, um, you know, S Steve, this one's for you. Um, you know, really over the last few months, it seems like we've seen this 
change, for lack of a better description, sort of e- even almost in our national security policy, where we've seen ransomware attacks, um, you know, against Colonial Pipeline and elsewhere. We've seen these cyber attacks from, you know, uh, rogue nation states like North Korea. There was that extraordinary indictment that you and the uh, NDOJ unsealed, you know, involving that. You see, you know, Kyle's wheelhouse with these, you know, the the terrorist fundraising. Um, it really seems like things have moved um, to a digital battlefield. Um, if you can talk about sort of a little bit high level, sort of how you and, and leadership within the Bureau is really thinking about how to address this emerging or really sort of new threat on a new battlefield. Yeah, that, that's uh, great. Um, you know, the, the director, I think you said the director has commented that it's sort of like 9-11 now, right? So uh, a lot of the strategy, because we've evolved from the education, right? Back in, like I said, back in 2017, when I first started, a lot of it was educating our workforce, mm-hmm. right? Um, Ali and Kyle and, and uh, all the members really trying to educate the workforce, right? To kind of say, hey, that was our strategy. Um, you know, if you see this keychain, hey, that might be, you know, uh, encryption, you know, uh, a, a key as opposed to the twenty thousand dollars that's in the in the safe or in the underneath the mattress. Or if you see this, you know, piece of paper with some weird words written on it, that might be a clue too, right? So as we've evolved through that in the education and the awareness, um, getting those agents and, and analysts to see that stuff, we we've come into more of a different realm now and changed the strategy up a little bit to what the director is trying to say with 9-11 is more disruption, right? So as we've evolved our education, our awareness, our skills, our tools, um, we're getting into more of a disrupt, disruptive uh, atmosphere. And that's what you've you've seen through the through the, um, the latest couple of, uh, you know, press announcements and things that we've done. Um, because as you alluded to, too, it's like these ransomware attacks, a lot of the cybercrime attacks are hitting Americans at home. Right, they're hitting them at at the gas pump, at the at the grocery store, right? Because a lot of these things that these cyber actors uh, are doing in this realm is is directly affecting the U.S. citizens. Now. It's not just about businesses anymore. It's not just about that, right? So we've kind of changed up with our partners too, right? We do a lot of work with the Five Eyes partners that we have across the uh, across the world because this is not a U.S. only. Um, and we've done a lot of work with our private sector partners as well. So that's that's a lot of the strategy that we're, you know, 30,000 foot view there that we're trying to incorporate, um, bringing the private sector in, bringing the public sector in, and really talking about this across the lines and sharing that intelligence, um, because that's what we need to do to win this, this new battle. As you said, the battlefield has changed, and we need yeah. to share that intelligence, not just keep it amongst ourselves in law enforcement. It's, it takes everyone to, to, in that battlefield, not just us. Yeah, no, I think it's wonderfully said, and you hit on so many different things here, right? Like the, the the unique nature of these attacks is that they could be a national security threat, sort of like terrorism, where you're going for critical infrastructure like Colonial Pipeline, but it's also sort of bank robbery at the speed of the internet, right? And you and you're get you know people are potentially losing their life savings in these kinds of attacks. Um, you know, small businesses, you know, as you said, so it's it is a really sort of interesting moment. Um, sort of, Kyle, if, 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 sort of continuing that. Um, you're obviously your expertise, um, from my experience, is pretty much everywhere. Uh, but uh, if we could sort of dig in, just given your current role, sort of into the terrorist fundraising piece, uh, what what has that landscape been looking uh, like lately? I know there were a number of cases, Hamas and ISIS and Al Qaeda, sort of around fundraising crypto. But what are you what are you sort of seeing in terms of the latest threats? Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, I, I think that you sort of nailed it. There's, um, as Mr. Dantuano and Ali alluded to, um, you know, the, the threats are going to evolve just like uh, everything else. And so, you know, from, a, uh, from our perspective, it was just a matter of time before some of the uh, terrorism organizations and actors began to get into crypto. Um, you know, for, for better, for worse, as, it, uh, as, as a lot of the crypto technology continues to evolve, a lot of the regulatory infrastructure and uh, law enforcement uh, scrutinization has not, um, has not developed as robustly as, say, traditional fiat banking. And so what that creates for some of our um, illicit actors is, is room to maneuver. And so we've seen, as we, as we started to see, uh, you know, 2010, as soon as, you know, shortly after Bitcoin rolled out and people, um, you know, started using uh, virtual currency for nefarious purposes, it, it has just evolved into every threat. And so, you know, some of the cases that, that you mentioned, and I think you had 
um, Judge Faruqi and, uh, and Jessica Brooks and Christian Chesky from, from IRS previously, who talked a little bit about some of the cases that, that we've worked on in this space. Um, it just, uh, you're just going to see more of it. And so, you know, we've had a, a couple of recent um, guilty pleas uh, by subjects who have sent money to, to terrorists. And what once may have been an area where they would send um, using traditional banking or, or uh, just a, a wire transaction um, has turned into crypto. And so, you know, even just uh, Googling some of the some of the, the recent cases, you're going to keep seeing it. And, um, you know, unfortunately or fortunately for us, uh, we have folks who are willing and able and 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 enthusiastic to try and build out this this infrastructure, just like we've always done in the fiat space. Um, and our, our partners and FBI folks are, you know, we're hopefully up to the challenge. And I know uh, enthusiastic, like I said, about about trying. Kyle, that's terrific. Just to follow up on one thing you said, you mentioned, you know, obviously some some good friends of ours, uh, Judge Zia Faruqi, uh, Chris Jancheski, Jesse Brooks, like what actually, you know, I've, I've been really lucky enough to, I think, have a front row seat to some of the work that you're doing. And what I've always loved and admired is that you guys really reach across the interagency to put together sort of the very best of law enforcement, no matter sort of where they are. And I've always really been impressed by that sort of whole of government approach. Can you just talk for a moment about sort of how you guys have done that, you know, you hear, and maybe it's just for television, you hear about sort of the rivalries and the sort of, you know, this inability to work together. I feel like you guys have, have completely changed the game and the way you approach an investigation across the interagency. If you could just sort of talk a little bit about those relationships. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think you, you know, you're, you're spot on. There is a much more sort of uh, collaborative and team effort, I think, in the crypto space. And that may be a product of um, sort of fewer folks that are uh, more involved in uh, crypto investigations, but you're absolutely right across law enforcement, our Intel partners, our regulatory partners, and our foreign partners. There's a, a sort of a, a small handful of folks that um, nobody wants to do anything but work together because uh, as, as what allu was alluded to earlier, none of these threats are going to be um, centralized to just one violation or just one geographic region. And so, you know, we have great relationships with, you know, all of our partners at, at IRS, DEA, HSI, and then all the regulatory partners, FinCEN, uh, Main Treasury, OFAC, and the Intel folks. And so it has been great. And when you get great prosecutors uh, like, like Mr. Faruqi and, and AUSA Brooks who are up to the challenge, um, you know, it, it's a lot of fun and it's a, a very productive environment. So. Uh, we just got a real uh, Judge Faruqi and AUSA Brooks back into their chairs as prosecutors, and, and we'll have the dream team again. Good, good luck with that. I'll help you work on that uh, project. Um, Ali, uh, I, I've heard through the grapevine that you're a huge baseball fan. Um, I'm not going to hold it against you that you, I think you love the Red Sox. Is that accurate? So I, I, I admittedly, I, I, yeah, I grew up, I grew up a huge uh, Yankee fan just to couple miles outside of uh, New York City. So, uh, but I will say that I've converted to the Nats as my number one over the last few years. So maybe we have that in common. I'm, I mean, uh, the Red Sox will always be my number one. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a hard no, Ari. All right, I'll, we'll, go, we'll go with that. So what I'd love you to do, given that, is sort of like, would you sort of break down the swing of the Bureau for me, right? Like, I want you to sort of do, do the analysis here. Sort of, how do you build a cryptocurrency um, investigation? Um, if you could sort of talk about the work that you do, I feel like you are doing it in sort of more and more sophisticated ways and really thinking through the pitfalls and what illicit actors are doing, maybe some of the obfuscation techniques. If you could just talk about the way you approach um, a cryptocurrency investigation, that would be terrific. Uh, yeah. So again, I think we've been hitting on some of the ways that, that the Bureau approaches cryptocurrency already today um, in that, uh, you know, we look at uh, virtual assets as a tool um, that criminals and, uh, you know, threat actors alike uh, exploit for, uh, you know, their own illicit purposes as a way to move money um, at the end of the day. Uh, and so when we think about how we're going to approach these, these cases, well, this is a new tool in the toolbox. Uh, when you talked about, you know, uh, you know, faster cars becoming more available, um, when you talked about, or like, uh, pave, I would argue paved roads and other new technology that uh, made it easier for, uh, you know, for Bonnie and Clyde and Dillinger to, to go across state lines. Uh, 
this is a you know cryptocurrency virtual assets this is another uh tool a new technology that is enabling crime to not only become more international but um just another way uh, another anonymizing technique right and so uh going back to what uh, mr dantuano had said earlier um following the money has always been a very key uh, law enforcement technique. Um, you know, there's, there's nothing new about like about that. We've been doing it for years, um, and, uh, quite successfully, <laughs> I might add. Uh, and so with virtual assets that brings in, um, you know, more opportunities to follow the money. Um, and it always comes back to with money laundering, uh, the placement layering integration, the structure always remains the same. And so when we approach cases, um, whether they be uh, cybercrime cases or ransomware cases or, um, you know, uh, drug trafficking, what have you, uh, when we see money, when we see money laundering happening, whether it's in cash or virtual assets or, um, you know, uh, you know, through wires or what have you, uh, that general follow the money technique is going to stay the same. But what changes um, is it's going to add a new spin, right? Um, it's going to be we need to increase our education, uh, our capabilities uh, against how to follow that money more effectively, um, which is partially where uh, our uh, key private sector partners come into play here. Um, our partnership with the private sector is, uh, you know, critical to our success um, in being able to, to combat these crimes. Uh, and so when we look uh, at these cases, it really follows a similar structure to what you would see um, for traditional FBI cases. Uh, it's just going to have a new spin spin on it um, with the new technology. So it's always going to be the, you know, focus on we're going to have, you know, arrests, actor like we're looking at the actors. Right. We're looking at following the money. Right. And we're also looking at uh, seizure and forfeiture opportunities. Um, and so it's really just a new spin on our traditional case uh, setup. That's really well said. I, um, you know, people talk about, you know, uh, blockchain analytics like TRM all the time. And what I try to describe, what I try to explain, having been a prosecutor for a long time, is this is one tool in an investigator's toolbox. Ultimately, you know, you can't start an investigation necessarily. You can't close an investigation with these tools. And it's just great police work like you guys have been doing for 100 years, essentially, uh, that actually sort of closes these cases, just like any sort of financial crime investigation. I think that's uh, that's really well said. Um Steve, I, I was lucky enough to work in DC for a long time. And I know that there are some very unique authorities that, you know, DC has legally, but also just the, you know, the Washington field office that you lead is really one of a truly extraordinary place that investigates all kinds of different financial crime in, uh, cases, including crypto. Can you talk a little bit about how you're thinking specifically at WFO right now about these types of cases and things you can be doing? And um, maybe even whether that sort of unique jurisdictional hook that DC has sort of plays into that at all. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I, I consider the Washington Field Office the flagship office of the uh, of the FBI. You know, I think New York considers themselves, but obviously uh, D.C. is where it's at. The seat of the nation. Um, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's one of those things. That, like you said, those unique authorities, the unique jurisdiction that we have here with the extraterritorial um, stuff that Kyle is working on, that Ali is working on. Um, crossing those international borders and bringing them into the in, into WFOs territory to be able to claw back that money, right? Again, it's the it's a disruption, right? It's the disruptive activities that we're we're trying to do. It's that strategy I talked about before of going against the the malware producers, going against the virtual currency service providers, going against you know anyone that's in that cyber realm, the dark web, right? The dark net that that we're getting into. We have. We have a pretty forward-leaning squad here um, that is just delving into. It's it's the only squad in, in the country delving into the darknet, you know. Um, and that's with the Rhode Island accent, so I can spell that out for you if you need. There's an R in that word, but um, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things that that's where we're on the forefront, on the cutting edge of this at WFO. Um, using it against terrorists, using it against nation-state actors, using it against cyber actors, using it against transnational organized crime actors as well that are, are anonymizing themselves across those lines and we're blurring those lines are blurred now right those international lines are blurred right it's not it's not so much we have borders anymore in cyberspace right there is no more borders and we're trying we're reaching across that with our partners too we've done a great job like i keep talking about our five eyes partners and our partners across the country you know partnerships that that we established in the fbi long time ago with our regular regulators people are seeing this like kyle said people are seeing this um crypto this this area as as the like you you described the new battlefield and we're all kind of 
pulling together our resources to do that. And WFO is just in a very, very unique position because of those authorities and the jurisdiction that we have here to be able to disrupt those actors um, internationally as well, which you, you saw in a couple of the domains that we pulled back and stuff. Sure, there. absolutely. Uh, Kyle, sort of building on that, um, because I think one of those threat actors is obviously, um, you know, uh, terrorists. Um, but, you know, look, you, you have a very unique background in having, you know, supervised the cryptocurrency squad, but then also sort of moved to the, the counterterrorism. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, one thing that comes up all the time is people want to talk about cryptocurrency crime. And I, I try to explain that cryptocurrency is not a crime. It is a uh, it is a currency. It is used in the commission of many crimes like cash or anything else. Um, but I feel like you have a unique perspective, having seen lots of different examples of bad guys using cryptocurrency to do bad things. If you can sort of talk through a little bit about that experience, that would be that would be terrific. Yeah, I completely agree. I uh, couldn't agree more that, um, you know, this, this notion of, of crypto crime or that um, it's inherently bad is, I think, just just a fallacy. And, and like you said, um, you know, there, there's. There's been illicit cash transactions for as long as there has been cash, but we don't uh, seem to assign that that same sort of uh, pejorative to to uh, cash, credit cards, or wire transfers, electronic payment apps. You know the list goes on. And so, you know, when I when I did work for uh, for Mr. D'Antuano in the money laundering unit and working with Ali and the the great VSET team, one of the cool things about working in money laundering is that it really does touch every violation. Um, you know, the, the money laundering statutes are essentially um, a list of hundreds of felonies and then the proceeds of which being moved is money laundering. And so having um, having that that view on all things um, illicit in the uh, uh, federal code um, gives you a, a broad view of things. And when I when I first started with uh, uh, with the VSET team. You know, a lot of uh, a lot of the cases there there was a smaller portfolio of cases. You know, starting back in uh, 2012, it was you know Silk Road and some other you know smaller uh, darknet drug markets that sort of uh, the illicit action was known for. Since then, is just um, you know essentially every threat to include national security threats, um, your traditional uh, criminal threats, uh, narco uh, narco terrorism. Um, weapons of mass destruction, um, espionage cases, terrorism, and everything in between, all the frauds, all the money launderings. And so we have, um, which is why I think it, it requires a, a broad sort of uh, collaborative effort, because we're just going to continue to see um, this proliferate into every segment of, of uh, criminal conduct that we investigate. And it has just, you know, in the last probably five years, I would say, maybe even less, maybe three years, uh, become much, much more prevalent across every other violation that we see. And so that's why, you know, you get the brilliant folks like Ali who are who are able to train, um, you know, all of our agents who maybe traditionally don't work any type of money cases um, uh, that they need to be able and need to be equipped in order to do so just because. Uh, they're going to see it. And, um, you know, getting a disruption, like Mr. D'Antuano said, uh, a forfeiture or identifying parties and counterparties to these illicit transactions. That's the bread and butter of, of what the FBI does. And so it's going to continue to expand and we need to uh, to keep up. And, I, you know, I think we're we're doing uh, uh, giving our, our best efforts uh, to do so. Yeah, no, I, I think you nailed it. It's sort, of, it's sort of this notion that every crime is a financial crime. And um, and now maybe every financial crime has crypto in it or sort of going forward. If, if, if the future is digital money, um, yeah, no, that's definitely the case. Um, Ali, sort of- Another convert. Yeah. <laughs> oh, totally. <laughs> totally. Um, absolutely. Every crime is a financial crime for sure. <laughs> Follow the money. Um, Ali, like I said, sort of, you've been really uh, investigating cryptocurrency cases since the very beginning, as Kyle said, sort of the Silk Road moment where I think we all realized that this is something we needed to really understand as law enforcement. Can you talk a little bit about how you've seen the space and maybe even the threats evolve in crypto since you've uh, started working in, in the space? Yeah, sure. I mean, I, along with really just the incredibly talented uh, and wonderful people that I work with over at the VSET team, um, we've seen a lot change over the years, right? And um, that that team of people, uh, you know, obviously 
big credit to, to Mr. D'Antuano for assembling that team um, with his management team. Uh, you know, we're, we're very happy all together. <laughs> but uh, that team has seen a lot of change over the years, right? Um, so from, you know, the days of Silk Road where we saw basically um, – you know, what, what came out of trial was that uh, money was moved directly from uh, the Silk Road wallets into our into the main subjects uh, wallets. There was no, um, you know, additional techniques thrown in there. So all the way really from sort of the beginning there where we had direct transactions um, over the years to, you know, other cases like uh, like Alphabet and um, in Deep Dot Web uh, and really, uh, you know, sort of some traditional darknet and cybercrime. That's where we saw a lot of this activity happening for a long, for a good while. Um, but really over the years, as the technology has, uh, has improved, um, whether that be from an ease of use perspective, um, it's more, you know, inviting for, for people to use it uh, and easy for, you know, people who may not be tech savvy to, to, you know, get on and, you know, figure out how to get how to get involved with this and launder their money through it. Um, it from, you know, that perspective all the way through to, um, you know, criminals are always basically criminals are always new adopters of new technology, like they're very early adopters of it. If it's new and innovative, and if they can figure out how to use it, uh, you know, they're going to get involved with it. And so over the years, really from Silk Road to Alphabet to Deep Dot Web, from like that sort of darknet centric cyber criminal type world, um, like uh, online drug trafficking, really now to what we're seeing with um, the forfeitures that uh, that Kyle uh, has been involved with from, you know, North Korea, the North Korean thefts um, to uh, some of the terrorism uh, forfeitures we've seen uh, that describe some of the new money laundering techniques that they're using, um, whether it be, you know, chain hopping or DEXs or what have you. Uh, but certainly, um, you know, we always see that if there's a new tech coming out, uh, criminals are, are going to be using it. So uh, over the years, we've just seen that expand over time. It's the same whack-a-mole game you guys have always played with with bad guys. And I think you hit on a good point, right? It's yeah. that like in the beginning, it was just like moving the money, right? Yeah. Now, then it was going through tumblers. And, yeah. and like, uh, it, so the criminals evolved and you guys do, right? Yeah. As you guys saw the technology and you saw what they were doing, we were gaining that intelligence, sharing it amongst all our partners and seeing what everyone else is seeing sharing with the private sector partners as well. And that was where the tracing, like where, where we continue to evolve. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and that was, that's important. That's why the, the VCET is, is fantastic. That combination of the, the technologies, the intelligence sharing, and then just the experiences that people have. That's where Ali's been just forefront of all that. So. It's really extraordinary. And I know you guys can't talk about current cases, but I can. And, uh, you know, seeing seeing you go after, you know, Darknet mixing services and Helix and, and Bitcoin Fog, it's really sort of, it's clear that, you know, we're not just going after the, um, you know, the Darknet, the, anyone engaging with the Darknet market, we're also going after, you know, money launderers on the Darknet who are sort of selling these, these types of services, um, to be sure. Um, Steve, if we could talk a little bit, obviously, top of mind for everyone these days is ransomware and cyber attacks. And obviously, you know, without discussing pending cases, um, you know, um, Director Ray recently came out and sort of cautioned businesses about paying these ransom. And obviously, there's policy being developed around this at the highest levels of the Bureau and elsewhere. If you can just talk a little bit about the way you're thinking about and the Bureau's approaching these ransomware cases uh, going forward. Yeah, you know, definitely. And Director is saying, like, the, you know, that's that's our normal, um, you know, what we tell businesses and stuff is, we can't tell them what to do, right? But you know, when when you pay a ransom, you're basically just paying into the into the system, right? And you're giving them the reason to continue to do this against other people. But you know, we want to work with those private companies, right? We we need to um, get in there and treat this like a um, just like any other attack, right? And and have that um, connection between us and the the C-suite, right? The the CEOs and the C the CISOs and the the vice presidents and whoever's within that C-suite as executives in the FBI and having that um, that effort to say, how are we going to stop this, right? How how can we help? How can the FBI come in and help now that you've been attacked, right? Um, that's, pro, that's the reactive. On the proactive side, it's involving those private corporations and those companies that are touching the internet you know, a lot more than than we are in the government, right? The, the private sector has, sees this activity prior to us 
uh, a lot of times seeing it too from from the from the viewpoint that we have to you know abide by with the constitution and everything else that we're looking at um you know the private sector is on the forefront of that so it's that blending and the sharing of intelligence that is going to help us right and that's what we're trying to we're not changing the strategy, but we're just using that strategy again of working together um, to, to see what the variants are, to share, share those variants prior to with the private sector so that they can see it when it's hitting their systems. You know, I, I don't know the figures, but you know, I, I just know looking at my own firewall at home, you know, I'm getting pinged constantly daily just against my own personal firewall, let alone against a company, right? We've said this before, if you are on, if you have a system that is on the internet, you're being actively hit, right? Actively sought after for vulnerabilities constantly. So, and it's not just companies, it's it's American people too, right? We've been putting out that awareness, those awareness campaigns of like internet of things and everything that touches their, wi their wireless systems that touch the internet, all those things as we evolve as a, as a cyber world and the, the convenience of everything becomes easier, right? And, and you look at Colonial Pipeline or look at JBS or or any of those, right? Years ago, they weren't the systems like that, right? They weren't touching it. Now they are because it makes it easier, right? But with that ease also comes security, right? And we have to be, be able to be able to secure our infrastructure. Um, and that starts with the private corporations and the companies, you know? So that's what we're trying to, to kind of work hand in glove with them on the front end and then also if there's an attack too, uh disrupting um those attacks uh, we have a lot of tools and techniques that we can use to maybe get those encryption keys back um so that we can un you know unencrypt the data and not have to pay the ransom right so it's it's that awareness and, and that working together that's gonna i think win this day so yeah no and it's just an extraordinary result in the colonial pipeline which i know just came down to great police work and the type of financial crime investigations that you've that you've always done um yeah, just just really extraordinary. Kyle, sort of building on that, I think there's probably three areas that at least keep me up on night. The, the terrorist financing piece, um, which you're obviously intimately uh, familiar with. And then um, as Steve just sort of talked through the ransomware and cyber attacks, the third group is really these sort of, and, and I guess they're, they're, they go with the cyber attacks, but really this these rogue nation state actors like North Korea that are incredibly sophisticated and have built out teams like Lazarus Group who are literally targeting our you know, critical infrastructure. Um, and also when, when they're stealing money or stealing crypto, it's for weapons proliferation. Um, you've been very involved in some of the sort of the big North Korea money laundering um, investigations. If you can sort of talk a little bit about that threat and, and how the Bureau is approaching it. Yeah, sure. Um, thank you. So, you know, generally speaking, um, the, the U.S. sanctions regime has been pretty effective at limiting um, U.S. dollar transactions with um, anything associated with the, the government of North Korea, uh, but also some niche carve-outs um, that, that are prohibited. And not only the U.S., there's U.N. sanctions programs. And I mean, the, North Korea has the uh, special designation of being the only nation state uh, individually listed, uh, some of the sanctions program individually listed in the civil forfeiture statute. Um, and so that what that has done is is limited their access to the world economy um, in traditional fiat currency. So, of course, like uh, any good um, illicit activity, they turn to areas that have a less um, sort of robust infrastructure, which um, the, the obvious one is, is crypto. And so in some of these cases, as you know, you've seen in some of the press releases and, and some of the work that has been done, uh, it is very sophisticated and government controlled. Uh, groups. And so what it requires is a very, you know, going back to the collaborative effort, a very um, joint effort between uh, multiple agencies, regulators, and then heavily in this space with our with our intelligence community, um, because there are uh, very, very good money launderers that are out there. And uh, it's a very lucrative business if, uh, if you can get into it. And so, you know, you see some of these hacks, these are not, you know, no, no one hack is, is better than the, better than another, I suppose. But um, when the takeaway is uh, millions, hundreds of millions, or even up to a billion dollars, um, that, that is uh, plenty of incentive for a regime like North, North Korea to get involved. And, you know, juxtaposing that against their gross domestic product, 
it's a, you know, it's a business decision that they continue to make. And so um, it, it really does take um, some dedicated folks at the FBI and, and elsewhere. You know, a lot of these cases that, that you have seen have been joint cases and uh, with great prosecutors and, and great um, U.S. government as a whole approach to, uh, to mitigating this. And, you know, we, we don't see it slowing down at any time because, again, you know, one or two of these large hacks, unfortunately, with some of our private partners who, who um, know that it's out there, these guys are good. And once they obtain the underlying assets, you know, there's not a lot of uh, willing and able cash out points. And so um, they need to uh, launder the funds and conceal the funds and, and layer it to a point where it's not obvious um, that the money is stolen money. And so those for us are, are what we look at hard and, and some of the vulnerability points um, because they can't, unlike, you know, as Ali said, when uh, Mr. Albrecht sent directly from uh, the Darknet, uh, the Silk Road account directly to his, he was able to, you know, to move the currency because there wasn't a, as broad of an infrastructure. Well, now there is a little bit more broad and there's great private sector tools out there um, that many of the exchanges uh, use and they can see that um, money from these hacks or money from nefarious purposes, they don't want involvement with that. So that's, you know, with our private partners, um, you know, like great TRM, uh, uh, great blockchain companies like TRM, they can trace that so that everybody knows exactly where that comes from. That's that's a necessary part of the equation as well, that um, uh, making it less lucrative, if, if nobody's going to cash out for this obvious illicit conduct, then uh, it makes the crime um, um, much harder and, and much more expensive to undertake if they have to go through um, uh, huge hurdles in order to cash out. And so, you know, we expect it to continue, but hopefully as, as, uh, as the economies and as folks catch up, we'll be able to, uh, to take a, uh, a big chunk out of, of what's going on now. Now, that's a great point and a really terrific point that, you know, still illicit actors do need to off-ramp the crypto to fiat to buy things sort of in the world we live in now. There may be a future state where that is not as much the case, but um, it's a great point. And that seems to be where so much of your amazing work has been done sort of on those off-ramps, stopping them from ultimately getting the money that they need to use to buy weapons or, or commit other uh, acts of terrorism. Um, so before I get let you guys go, um, you know, continue the work of saving the financial system um, and all the other all the other important work that you do. Um, one thing we do on TRM talks is sort of bust out the crystal ball uh, and and make some predictions. Um, so Ali, I'm going to start with you. Um, obviously, um, you, you know you have so much experience in cryptocurrency investigations, and I think you mentioned some of the ways illicit actors are adapting. If you can sort of talk a little bit about how you see the space evolving. You know, things move so quickly. So in the next few months or the next, you know, year or more, uh, what's next in sort of crypto investigations? Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's always difficult to predict the future, especially in such a fast moving uh, technological space as crypto. Uh, but I'm, I'm happy to give it a shot. Uh, so one of the things uh, that, you know, we all we, I feel like we've continually come back to um, in, in this talk is the you know we're the money laundering structure right the structure of money laundering the, that placement layering integration we always come back to that and so i want to start by saying regardless of how this space evolves technologically and options for laundering um continue that the the structure of it will i see remaining the same right there's always going to be that um that that need um from that standpoint uh, and a big piece of that, as Mr. D'Antuano mentioned earlier, is the adaptability. Um, and so I think uh, you'll see the FBI and its partners, uh, you know, continue to to adapt to the new technology that comes along, the new ways that uh, criminals are laundering their money um, by continuing to, to increase our capabilities, um, continuing our, our good work on uh, our investigations, uh, and by continuing to work very closely with our private sector partners, um, which, which again, like, uh, just are, are so important uh, to us. Um, but as far as uh, sort of laundering techniques, uh, you know, over the past year, we've seen a lot of DeFi um, talk. Uh, so, you know, as that space continues to, to grow and develop, um, you know, with criminals being early adopters of newer technology, as that becomes more, uh, you know, 
easy to use and for easy for people to to get involved with. Um, I have no doubt that uh, you know we'll start to see um, some of that being taken taken advantage of and exploited um, by illicit actors. Uh, but some of the the oldies but goodies, um, you know, they're 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 still um, you know perfectly uh, you know viable ways that we've see, we see people laundering their money. And so, um, you know, while we've adapted to those, uh, those I think will continue to be used more, more so in like a, an additional option, right? People like options with their money laundering. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, I think we'll see sort of a, a continued diverse set of, uh, you know, using not just, not just sort of the new technology, but also using some of the, the older tech Older seems like a, <laughs> uh, it's not that old, but um, some of the older tech to, as in conjunction with one another to uh, to create, um, or at least what the criminals believe is an effective money laundering scheme. Um, but the good news is, uh, at least for uh, the American public, is that uh, the FBI uh, can adapt to and uh, loves to follow the money. So, uh, which will yeah. continue. No, the good news is we have we have folks like you, uh, to be sure. Um, absolutely. Um, Kyle, uh what does your crystal ball say, whether it's, you know, on the terrorist financing side or really anything else that's top of mind right now and sort of what's next in the way we're sort of thinking about these investigations? Yeah. Um, you know, like, uh, like Ali said, you know, I think that there's going to be a, uh, a slow but steady move away from sort of traditional uh, cryptocurrency, I guess, if, if that's a thing, uh, considering, you know, it's only yeah. broadly Bitcoin, you know, is uh, 13, 12, 13 years old, but, um, you know, continued decentralization, I think is going to be a theme, um, maybe some of the anonymous currencies, but, you know, one of the, one of the issues that I know we are, um, just sort of tracking as, as well as many other folks in the space are, uh, central bank digital currencies, you know, ultimately it sort of runs counterintuitive to, uh, uh some of the virtual currency themes as it would be centralized, but where, you know, where there's a difficult, um, sort of penetration area for the United States government that makes it uh, uh, makes it a challenge to to regulate for the U.S. government, and so where those um, transactions could occur, um, or even on you know an electronic payment app, um, where some of that infrastructure is held uh, outside of the purview, the obvious purview of the United States, that's that's an area that um, we are tracking, and and I could see becoming uh, uh, more important to. Uh, regulators to law enforcement and uh, intel folks in sort of in the space. Yeah, no, that's really well said. To continue um, my baseball analogy for for Ali, I, I've often said that you know we're pre first inning in this space, right? You know, is it going to be CBDCs? Is it going to be stable coins? DeFi? Um, is it going to be crypto? So it's really sort of this interesting moment. But I am confident that, you know, whatever it is, ultimately we'll, we'll be able to adapt and, and stop sort of illicit actors from taking advantage, whatever that system ultimately, uh, ultimately looks like. Um, Steve, I'd love to sort of close with you here. Um, what, what do you think the areas are? And honestly, it could be crypto, it could be illicit finance generally that you, that are most top of mind for you either right now or sort of looking down the road, uh, the things that, that the FBI is poised to address. You know, it's it's definitely what we've been talking about here, right? It's it's um to me, it, it, to go back to the crypto and the uh, the, the crystal ball. You know, I, I said probably about four years ago on a, another show that cash is king, right? My son gives me a lot of uh, grief over that, right? Because he's of the generation, he's twenty three, he's of the generation that crypto, everything's crypto, everything's online, all that stuff. But cash is still king. Fiat fiat currency is still king. But the generations that are younger than us that don't know machine gun kelly being a a gangster but more being machine gun kelly that is married to me love it awesome pop culture reference very yeah (laughs) how this is going to go you know with moving crypto into and moving cyber into a different realm than what we're used to right you know, telephones. I grew up with a telephone and rabbit ears on TVs. You know, I can watch TV and the Red Sox beat the Yankees on the, over the weekend <laughs> on my phone, you know, uh, wherever I'm at, right? So yeah. that's, I think that's where we're evolving to, right? That's where we're seeing this um, move, right? Crypto, illicit financing, cyber, you know, cyber crime being a financial crime as well, right? Um, you know, as we get more and more used to this stuff, that's where we're evolving. And, and as Ali and Kyle both pointed out, 
criminals are on the forefront of these things, right? We started seeing Bitcoin ATMs pop up a couple of years ago. We've seen, you know, different different people get into this because it's easier. We've seen criminals telling people in a, in a uh, in an attack of how to use crypto, right? They're actually good detailed instructions on how to open up a wallet. Yeah. Uh, you know, all that stuff is just evolving. But as Ali and Kyle both said, you know, and you had pointed out in 1908, we were started 13, 113 years ago, you know, the FBI was was born um, and we've continued to evolve and adapt. Um, and the will continue to do that, right? That is the problem that we, that is what we do for the American people is we continue to adapt to all these problems. We are on the forefront, on the cutting edge, and maybe we have to catch up a little bit. And we did in crypto, but I think we've, we're running step by step with these criminals at this point, right? And um, we're, we're, we're looking at places that they don't think that we're in, right? And that's continuing to be evolving. Um, and we will continue to evolve and fight this crime and, and make the, the American people safer. Uh, and that's that's what we're going to do day in, day out with, with people like Ali and, and Kyle that are on those front lines. I'm just a, I'm, I'm just at the top and just watching them do all the work at this point, which is great. It's fascinating. Yeah. It's an extraordinary group, um, to be sure. I will say that WFO is my number one, but if I had the New York office on, I may have gotten some more Yankee fans in the mix. Is that, is that, what, uh, all right. Yeah. So I kind of blew it there, but otherwise, uh, yeah, no guys, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. As I mentioned, you're really tip of the spear in the way you're thinking about this work and, um, yeah. And, um, really, really appreciate it. Um, so thank you so much. Hopefully we can come back and, uh, continue this conversation about sort of what's next uh, for the Bureau investigating these cases. Happy to. Thanks, Ar. Appreciate thank it. Yeah, thanks for having us. And thank you all so much for joining us today on TRM Talks. TRM Talks is brought to you by TRM Labs, the leading provider of blockchain intelligence on a mission to keep the financial system safe for billions of people. Looking forward to another terrific discussion next month with movers and shakers from the world of cryptocurrency. Until then, Thank you to all of you who work so hard to keep us safe.